us and you help us be boots on the ground, physically present in Europe to share the message of Jesus Christ in a tangible way with the people in our, in our, in our life, in, around us every day. But more importantly than the finances that help us be there physically are the prayers that you pray for us. Because it's the prayers that you pray that unlock the hearts of people, that unlock conversations, that, that just kind of the Holy Spirit steps in and something happens in the middle of conversations and people think about things and say things. I've, I, more than once I've had people say, I have no idea why I'm telling you this. <laughs> Which you kind of go, in my brain I'm going, I know why. <laughs> do you, do you want to know why? Uh, but many times, especially in a European environment where we work, it, the prayers that you pray for us are almost more important because the majority of Swiss people that we encounter and work with have no need for God in their lives. They very clearly, flat out would say, not interested in God. You may say, whoa, 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 wait a second. Isn't there a whole lot of stuff going on in Europe? Isn't there a lot of things happening? And I would say yes to all of that. There are churches everywhere. The Catholic Church is foundational in many of the communities that we work in and we've been in. But I would also tell you that organized religion is dead in Europe. Because people look at that and say, the Catholic Church or the Lutheran Church that we're a part of has been uh, involved with money and power and control and governments and rules and regulations and abuses and all this garbage. And if I say yes to that, that means I agree with everything that's gone on in the past. I'm not interested in that. So they focus on other issues and other points in their lives and say this is more important so we'll talk a little bit about that today and uh, share. But first, I'd like to share a few verses out of, out of God's Word. Is that okay? Three people say yes. So then the rest of you, you're just stuck for the rest of the time we're here. Hope it goes smooth and I, that I'm not boring so that you can get out of here fast. I'd like to share a few verses out of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I'll have all these verses listed here behind me so that you can read them um, as I, I read. So if my voice is not interesting, tune me out and just read. It'd be fun. I said to myself, this is King Solomon, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. Bible tells us that King Solomon was the wisest man on earth. And so at this point, he's saying, I am looking for meaning and purpose. He's analyzing his entire life with the wisdom God gave him, and he's recognizing it didn't add up to what I thought it was going to. And in his mind, he had already ruled out a whole bunch of parts of life saying this is just foolishness. It promises me good. It promises me a better life. It promises me happiness, but it's not there. I can look at the lives of other people and say, that's dumb. But he's saying, even though I am wise, maybe in that foolishness that I see other people chasing after, maybe there's something there. So I'm going to go after that too and see if maybe that's where joy and purpose and meaning is found. And he continues in verse 4. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks and filled them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect water and to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves 
Both men and women and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of gold and silver, the treasure of many kings and providences. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind, there was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Lord, I just ask in these moments you'd open our hearts that we'd understand and you would challenge us as we step out of these doors. As we get a glimpse into Europe and in the ministry that you've called us to, I pray that you'd help all of us to be your light extended to this world. In Jesus' name. So, like we said earlier, how in the world does Switzerland get to a point where they say we're not interested in God? How does a culture get to the point where they say we're not interested. And like I said, there's a history there. There's a history of all kinds of abuses. There's a history of all kinds of brokenness. And when they look at that history, they would say, listen, we are Catholic by history, by culture, but I'm not interested in what they're selling me. I have questions of whether that's really what life is all about. And so they've turned their backs on the God that has been communicated through the years in the Catholic or the Lutheran church. They call it the Reformed Church in Switzerland. And they've said, that is no longer interesting to me. I am going to have guidance and direction and structure in my life that's based on something different than God or the church. And so you'd say, whoa, whoa, you know, wait a second, isn't this like the birth of the Reformation? And, and isn't this, you know, the place where there's beautiful cathedrals everywhere you go? And I would say, yes, yes, yes to all of that. I would even go so far as to tell you that 70% of the population says they believe in God, generally. Uh, they go to the Catholic Church, 40% of the people say they're Catholic. About 30% of the people say that they'd be a part of the Reformed Church, the Lutheran Church. But when you ask about Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ hasn't been heard in any of those churches for years. It doesn't come up other than written in written prayers or in structure or tradition. And so when you ask about Jesus Christ, less than 3% of the population would say they believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. So there's a huge disconnect from religion, this organized historical stuff, to an everyday lifestyle. And that is where God calls us to step in and say, hey, there is something more here. Wait, you're missing a point. Let's talk about that point. Before we get going too far, I want to share you a video to share the context of the culture in which we work in and help you have an understanding of what's the group of people like? How do, how do conversations look? What do normal people interact and work like? And I would probably say 85 to 90% of the, uh, the, uh, the culture, the people in Switzerland have this attitude in their lives. I don't believe in God, but I miss him. Julian Barnes. What does the gospel say to people groups who have moved God to the side but still miss him? This is the question that drives the Secular People's Initiative. What is secularism? The British missionary theologian Leslie Newbegin called post-Christian Europe the most challenging missionary frontier of our time. 
Returning to England from India in the 1970s, he encountered a fragmented, centerless society where individuals were left free-floating on their own, sure of nothing but their own existence. Taught to question everything, today men and women create meaning by personal experience and exploration. Secularism is the word we use to describe the worldview in which God or gods is not at the center, but instead the self is the highest authority. It is not a political system, but instead an orientation of the heart. Why does this matter? For Europeans, the worldview of secularism seems natural, plausible, and inevitable. It is a formidable barrier used by the enemy to close the ears of men and women so that the message of salvation in Christ is very hard to hear. Worldview matters because it shapes the language we use to present the gospel. Secularism, like any religion or worldview, is the framework by which people understand their own lives. And in Europe, it is the particular cultural context in which we live, serve, and preach Christ. Who are secular peoples? Most European people groups, such as Finns, Belgians, Czech, and Spaniards, are secular in their worldview. Secularism does not equal atheism, nor does it describe someone who is worldly or immoral. Secular peoples can be culturally religious, irreligious, spiritual or materialist, atheist or agnostic. What they share is that neither God, gods, spirituality, nor religion is the defining experience of life. God is an option, but not an obligation. Spirituality may be one facet of life, but it does not carry authority over the individual or determine their values or behavior. The cultural differences in the varying parts of Europe are significant, but if we paint post-Christian Europe in broad strokes, it is majority secular by its definition. Just like Islam has shaped the Middle East and Buddhism and Hinduism have influenced Asia, Europe's cultures, despite their roots in Christianity, are now shaped by secularism. The secular peoples are the Southern Europeans with religious, cultural identities and deep skepticism, the post-communist atheists in the East, and the pragmatic Northerners who think God doesn't matter either way. For the sake of these people, the Secular People's Initiative has been launched. In Switzerland, the people there have heard an incomplete, a tainted, a false, or simply have never heard of Jesus Christ. And so it's that understanding that shapes this behind us, this sexual, sex, <laughs> excuse me, secularist idea that says that God is no longer important in my life. I'm going to find other experiences that will shape my identity and my purpose and my meaning in life. And so what we find ourselves is in this self situation where each person on their own defines who am I? What is the good life for me? We call that the self-project in Europe, where each person is on a journey to define themselves and define what makes me better, what makes me who I am, what gives me a reason to live. And so you have self, each individual, looking and searching through all kinds of experiences, whether it's sexuality or spirituality, extreme experiences, extreme sports, whatever it may be, looking at achievement. Um, the majority of the people in Switzerland are title and education driven. 
purpose-driven. It's about efficiency. It's about bringing our best to the table, about look at what I can accomplish. That's a big part of defining self. Travel experience, the nature around them, enjoying the Swiss Alps and skiing and, and uh, snowboarding and uh, wandering is what they call it. Uh, uh, it's hiking through the mountains in the winter, uh, in the summer. It's this environment, embracing the environment and Mother Earth around us. Uh, they get involved with all kinds of self-expression. They look at tattoos and piercings as just one more story to tell. Look at the story of my life in ink. Uh, they also go through family. They, they uh, look at family as highly important. They'll have many generations that live in the same farmhouse, those kind of things. They look at social purposes. Look how good and moral we are. We're involved in this and that and the other. Look, we're helping mankind. We're, we're involved in all of these social projects. They get involved with political stuff. Political stuff is important. Look at look what we can do. Look how we can better mankind through political avenues. Drug experiences. You would think, okay, wait a minute. This is a highly efficient, a highly affluent culture. And yet, of the, the top 10 cities for cocaine use in Europe, five of them are in Switzerland. Strange. You kind of shake your head and go, what? How can that be? But it's because each person is on a journey to look for themselves, to find themselves, to better themselves. And each individual chooses what's best for them. And the more insecure they are about their purpose and their meaning in life, the more each of these areas become very, very important to them. So, for instance, if I talk about somebody's political views and say, well, you know, uh, compared to America, your political views are kind of goofy, whatever. Soon as I do that, because their identity and their purpose in life is connected to their political experience, I'm not talking about their political views anymore. I'm talking about them. And if I talk negative against their political views, now I'm talking negative about them as an individual. And then things get volatile. <laughs> Anybody see how that works? It's the same thing with all of these different areas of experience. If I talk against their experience, I'm talking against them. If I talk against their sexuality, see where this is going? I'm talking against them, not the action that their sexuality expression has. So suddenly, I no longer can talk about issues with people because now I'm talking against people. And that's definitely not the message of Jesus Christ. It's not about division. It's not about pushing people to the outside and say, you don't belong or you don't fit. It's about in sharing the love of Christ and letting Christ be known in the middle of all of those differences. So you may say, okay, that sounds pretty good. What in the world does that have to do with Oregon? Has anybody seen any connections with Oregon in any of this yet? Wow, kind of surprised us. As we come back from the field, we always are digging a little to find out, okay, what's different about Oregon? When we step back into Oregon, we've gone for a while. What are we going to experience? I'll tell you what we didn't plan on was all the pot shops that we'd find here in Oregon. That was kind of a little surprise. Ooh, oh, that's new. That's kind of interesting. Uh, there's all kinds of little things that we just didn't expect. One of the things we did find... Online, there's a company called Wallet Hub. They do online surveys to kind of judge and do all kinds of, you know, statistics. And they did a survey that had to do with the 2017 happiest places to live in America. So they rated the top 150 cities of America and said, okay, do you like living there? 
Portland, Oregon ranked 59th on their list of the happiest places to live in 2017. Pretty cool, huh? But at the same time that they do these surveys about positive things, about what's good, they also have some things they've learned about the negative side of life. So at the same time, they put out a list that was the 2017 most depressed places to live in America. Guess where Portland, Oregon landed on that one? They tied with Vancouver, Washington at the top of the most depressed places to live. Does that seem weird or disconnected in any way? 59 on the happiest place to live, but the most depressed place to live as well. And it could be that they did the survey in April, and, uh, you know, suddenly everybody's gone, haven't seen them in months, life is horrible. You know, I don't know, maybe that's what it is. But it could also lead back right to this stuff that we deal with in Europe, this self-project, where when we're talking about how how good things are, then I got all kinds of lists of, look at all this good stuff. But it's all just a facade because inside I'm still struggling with purpose and meaning and identity and hope and peace and joy. I'm still struggling. When we get down to the nitty-gritty, this just isn't working for me. That's the facade that we deal with a lot of times in Europe. And this is also, it just mimics the words that, that Solomon was talking about. Look at all the stuff that I'm involved with. Look at all the stuff I do. Look at all the things I've accomplished. Look at all the, the litany of stuff that I could rattle off to say life is good. But I'm still kind of miserable. It's meaningless. It's not quite fulfilling me. Something's missing still. And that's why this self-project is an important part for us. This is an important step for us to understand how to interact with the community around us. So because the self-project is so self-oriented, each person finds their own reality, their own purpose, their own meaning, it gets us in trouble as, as missionaries. I have said for years, I've been a pastor for uh, over 20 years and in missions for 15, and, and uh, we've all heard the verse out of John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Anybody ever heard that before? How many say that it would, it would be truth? I believe in that. When I share that verse in Europe, people look at me and say, who are you to tell me what truth is? I don't buy the Bible, so that's not my truth. You buy the Bible, you experience it, you like it, you experience that as true, so that's good for you, but that's not my story. That's not interesting to me. So when I share the truths of God's word, I've got to put it in a different context for people because everybody is on this journey on their own. Instead of saying, here's truth and I'm going to share it with you, do you believe it or not? I share in my story, in my experience, I have found that Jesus Christ, his words are truth. I have found that when I am needing purpose and direction, Jesus Christ is the way. He's given me a direction in life that I could never come up with on my own. I never imagined being here in Europe. I can tell them that through Jesus Christ, I've experienced a completely different life. And suddenly, the Holy Spirit steps into a situation. Instead of me convincing people what truth is, that they need Jesus, now I have just infused into the conversation who Jesus is. And now the Holy Spirit takes that conversation. My time comes to an end. The coffee cups get emptied. Everybody goes about their business and goes home. And the Holy Spirit starts working on the hearts of people saying, hey, there's something to that Jesus guy. Think about that. Did you remember the words that guy said? That's kind of crazy that Jesus is making. Suddenly, I've given them another option to find truth in their life. 
the only place that they'll find truth. And now the Holy Spirit begins to convince them and change their heart. And God begins to work on his behalf. But it makes it very difficult when we work in this environment. I, uh, uh, I have uh, some friends that are pastors in Germany. They, uh, they went from doing college ministry to planning a church through college ministry. And then they ended up planning a new church also a very young church. But as they were leaving from one area of Germany to another to plant a new church, they were saying goodbyes to the local friends. They were, they were saying goodbye to all the contacts, all the relationships they had built. And as the wife sat down over a cup of coffee with a friend to say, hey, I want to share with you that we're going to move, but you're important and we've really enjoyed relationship with you. And uh, I, I wanted to personally say goodbye. And this gal says, well, why are you moving? Why would you do that? And uh, the past, the, this missionary wife says, well, we, uh, we believe in God and we feel strongly that he directs our lives and we feel he's asking us to go and plant a new church in this next town. And the gal shared these words with this woman. Never let anyone tell you what to do, not even God. That's the attitude of the culture. No one tells you what to do. Nobody has the right to get in your face and say, this is what you should be involved with. Makes it a little difficult. When I share Christ with people, because there's this, this self-project, is all about connecting dots wherever they are in my life. People have a journey, and they have a journey that goes in a specific direction. And when I come along and I share Christ, many times when they hear the words of, of my experience and my story, they share these kind of words with me. I wish I had your kind of faith. Because what they're saying to me is, it sounds really good. It sounds good to have something outside of yourself to believe in, to give structure to your life. But because my journey goes like this, and your journey goes like this, we're intersecting at this point in time, but I could never come to the same conclusion that you have because we're on such different paths. It sounds good. I'd like to have that faith, but man, I could never have it. So this is the context in which we share Christ. And I got to tell you, at first, as we're recognizing and learning all of this in the culture, we spent two years in Germany. And as it talked about here, they're, they're former atheists. So anytime you talk about God, it's all new. They've never heard any of it before. And they're like, peace, joy, purpose, meaning? I, tell me some more of the story. <laughs> in Switzerland, serving for one term, about four years, it's a completely different monkey. And we're going, God, how can we share Christ in a place where people say, I know about God already. I don't know a lot, but I'm not interested in that at all. How in the world do we share Christ in that environment? And that's what brought us to this point. And I'll tell you, for us to share Christ in Europe is much the same way that you would probably share Christ here. It's by simply building bridges. Bing. How easy is that? Look at that simple clip art. This is easy. So there, there's a little bit of success built into this so that everybody feels like, hey, I could do that. You know, that's, that's a, big, a big part of church. If it gets so complicated, everybody walks away going, man, I'm lost. I don't even know what the guy's talking about. We'll all walk away and say, I'm not going back. But if we can make it easy and we feel good about it and say, hey, I could do that, then we have an opportunity to share Christ that we didn't before. Does that sound good? You liked it a lot better when I was talking about me. Now that I'm talking about you, you're going, whoa, hold on a minute here. Hey, second, this is not what I signed up for. Building bridges is really pretty easy. 
Because this whole process, this project of defining self, each person is on a journey and they share all kinds of words and all kinds of terminology that maybe you and I go, I don't, I don't even know what you're saying. But they share things like, I want to better myself. I'm all about justice. I'm all about inclusiveness. I'm all about respecting others. I'm about wholeness. I'm about spiritual experiences. I'm all about this, this new defining moment and so on. And, and I would tell you, all of those things, even though we might not understand those terms, all of those things are issues that the Bible talks about. Every one of them. So when people say, I'm all about justice in this world, I go, oh, that's great, so am I. God's all about justice. He defines it maybe a little different, but he's about justice. And suddenly the door is open and they're going, what? God's into justice? And then the Holy Spirit steps in and says, yeah, we'll be talking about that for a while. <laughs> Building bridges. Just looking for opportunities to say, let's talk about Jesus for a second. Not trying to convince people that they're wrong or they're going to hell. For whatever reason, it never really worked to get in people's faces and say, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. You're going to burn. You want to know Jesus? <laughs> I, I, I never had any excess, success with that. But if that works for you, man, go for it. But it doesn't work at all in Europe. It's about building bridges. I can also say that building bridges in Europe works really well in a very negative sense. Because when the self has to be the answer for everything that happens in life, we fall short real fast. I was in a church not too long ago. Uh, Saturday evening, we were having dinner and talking and laughing and joking, eating dessert, and the pastor got a phone call, and a gal in the church uh, had her house burned down. Lost everything except the clothes on her back and the car. <laughs> That's all she had. So what, what do you do when you don't have answers for that stuff? Self says, no, just stand up and be bold and take life by the horns. You tell that to people in Paradise, California today. I'm not sure that they'll have the same attitude that self is the answer because everything they own, everything they have is gone. How does self deal with that? How do you deal with it when you come back from the doctor and the doctor says, you've got six months? How do you deal with it when you get a phone call that a family member just passed away? How do you deal with stuff like this? Self was never intended by God to be the answer for all of this stuff. And so this lifestyle of self is the center comes to a short end when life gets difficult. And those build negative issues constantly. Because in this project of self, everybody's trying to better themselves. Everybody's looking for the good things. Everybody's looking to define themselves. And when they compare themselves with other people, they realize, why is it going good for them and not me? Why do they have it together and I don't? Why do they experience a good life and I'm not? What's going on here? So all this negative stuff, it builds all kinds of insecurities, builds anxieties, it builds depression. They, there's problems with low self-esteem. And because of this, people turn to Switzerland because Switzerland has companies that say, when you have come to the end of yourself, you've tried everything, experienced everything you can to define your life and find purpose, and you have been left short we have a company to help you die and end your life. People come from around Europe simply to say, I'm done trying. It's time to check out. We call that pretty stuff here in America. We call it, uh, you know, dying with dignity, things like that. We call it something different, but it's the same thing. People are done and they have nowhere else to turn. And these companies will say, give us your money. We'll help you die. 
Does that kind of seem weird? But that's the way Europe works because self was never intended to have the answers. So in the middle of that, in my story, I can also share about my negative experiences in life. I can talk about depression with people and say, you know, I know what it's like to not want to talk to anybody, (laughs) Not, not want to leave the house and so on, but here's where I found my way out of that. I didn't even do it myself, actually. And I can infuse Jesus into the negative situations and build bridges so that people will have the idea and go, oh, well, there is another option. I never thought of that before. And then the Holy Spirit begins to work after our words come to an end. Building bridges. Every one of us could do that. I want to share and continue here in Ecclesiastes. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 22, or 2.22, at the end of that same chapter, he says, so what do people get in this life for all of their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It's all meaningless. And he's describing, Solomon is describing this new secularist culture in Europe, in America, to a T. I'm doing everything I can to define and find purpose and give meaning and have a better life. And I'm coming short over and over again. People are miserable and even going to bed doesn't help. That's why people are on medications and and all kinds of alcohol and you name it. Anything to rest and find peace for a moment from this life that never lets up. Solomon experienced that. He knew it. He he experienced it himself. And he's saying, that's not where the answer is found. But in verse 25, he says these words. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. God. He's saying, hey, there is purpose and meaning, and it comes through God himself. So let me ask you this. God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. How do we please God? Now, we can make a huge list. The longer we've been in church and and been involved in church, we can come up with longer lists of what people need to do and hoops they got to jump through to please God. And God doesn't really give a rip about most of that, to be honest with you. What God is interested in is if we please him or not. The first step is acknowledging you are God and I am not. When we acknowledge I don't have the answers to life, but God, you might, and I'm going to look to you for answers. When we start that kind of an attitude shift in our brain, in our heart, God says, are you ready? Now we're going to share some wisdom and I'm going to bring joy and peace into your life. And I'm going to reveal who I am so that you can know me in a very personal way. God wants to have a relationship with people if they'll simply turn and allow him to come into their lives. So that's what we shoot for. I don't shoot for convincing people to pray prayers of um, uh, salvation the first time I meet them. I just simply are in, in relationship. Everything in Europe is about relationship. It's not about trying to convince people to be on my boat or to understand things the way I do or to have my perspective in life. My idea is life is a journey. Let's start relationship and experience it together. And if I can encourage you, if I can help you point you to the cross, I'll do it. That's my job as a missionary. So that's what we shoot for. And as we begin praying and as we begin looking and saying, God, how in the world are we going to reach this culture? We're looking at all this stuff going, God, man, uh, it was a lot easier in America where I knew what I was doing. It was easier in Northeast Germany where I understood the culture. Here, I'm lost. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to make a difference in this culture. When I talk about Christ or being a pastor, they say, not interested. 
how, 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 do I, how do I do my job here, God? And God shared this verse with me out of Isaiah 65. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I, here am I. And God was reminding me, you're simply the light in the darkness. It's my job to reach the hearts of people. It's my job to convince people that I am truth, that I am the way, that I am the life. It's my job to reach them and to change them. It is only your job to shine a light and point to the cross. So that's what I do in Europe on a daily basis. That's the relational aspects of what I do. Now there's, you might want to say business aspects. There's job requirements. What I have done is talked with the leadership of Switzerland, the Swiss Assemblies of God, and I've said, hey, how can we help? They asked us to come to help them plant churches, and as we got into the DNA and how Switzerland works and looking at the culture, we said, hey, the problem is you have 70 Pentecostal churches. 80% of those churches are either dead or dying, and if you reproduce that DNA in a new church plant, those churches will never start. They'll die before they even begin. We have to breathe new life into those churches so that they can reach the culture around their church, their own cities, their own towns. If that begins to happen, naturally, just like a tree, a tree has fruit of some sort with seeds, and those seeds always come every year, and those seeds bring new life when they're planted and take root. So if we're reaching people in our communities, if we're sharing Jesus with the culture, if we're interacting with people around us, churches grow naturally. That's the way God intended it to be. And when that happens in Switzerland, planting new churches will be easy, super easy. So my job is to help. We've, I've, I've been asked to walk alongside these churches and these pastors in coaching and training, helping them look at the culture around them and say, how can we reach this culture better? How can you, as a church that's dying, change the way you think and act so that the message of Jesus Christ can be heard outside the walls of this church? On a daily basis, this culture, this storytelling lifestyle has become the way that we live because that's the way people hear Jesus. So we want to share prayer cards with you. We have them in the back. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to hear your stories, your experiences with Switzerland, whether it's just I love Swiss chocolate or I hate Swiss cheese, whatever it might be, I don't care. We'd love to hear your story with Switzerland, and we'd love to put a prayer card in your hand. Not that you'll pray every day, but when you see that card, just say, God, use Matt and Heather today. Open conversations for them. Open the hearts of people that they interact with. And if you pray for us, we'll pray for you, because we believe that this kind of junk that we're dealing with in, in Europe, secularization, that's happening here in Oregon too. And I have a feeling Many of you come in contact with it every day. And we'll be praying that God helps you build bridges so that your church will grow and the message of Jesus Christ will be known here. Is that okay? What a great partnership. <laughs> so can we end simply in prayer? And then I'll just pass it off to Pastor Kelly. I'd like to pray if in any way, shape, or form this message hit home for you. For instance, you may say, I have done my best my whole life to be in charge, to be in control, to direct things, to keep a lid on stuff, and I'm struggling trying to keep the lid on this. <laughs> if you've not invited Christ to step into that central point in your life where he 
can guide and direct you. I want to encourage you, make that choice today. Or maybe you're a person who says, I'm doing my best to share Christ in a, in a culture that just doesn't, I don't talk their language anymore, right? I don't even know how this works anymore. Maybe this whole idea of building bridges is connected with you, and in your mind, the Holy Spirit's going, hey, here's how you could build bridges. Hey, you could do this, you could do that. If you've been challenged in any way, shape, or form, I just want to simply pray for you. Would you raise your hand to say, I've been challenged in some way during this message today? Would you just raise your hand and say, hey, pray for me today? Awesome. There's a handful of hands here. Could we take a moment to stand? And let's end in prayer, and I'll give it uh, this uh, over to Pastor Kelly as soon as we're done with this prayer. Father, thank you in the name of Jesus for giving us these opportunities, these responsibilities to talk about your word and to help people around us see Jesus. Thank you that you've given us a lifestyle that's different, that hopefully we'll be light in the darkness with our attitudes, our actions, and our words, but more importantly, help us to point to the cross. Lord, in the name of Jesus, if there are people that are struggling with this, this attitude of self where they've never allowed you to be at the center of their life, God, I pray that they would simply say, God, come, I recognize you as God, and I'm not. Help them experience your joy, your wisdom, and your peace right away because they're pleasing you by letting you be in the center. And God, I pray for people that are learning to build bridges, that are maybe looking at this differently now. I pray that you would give them creativity, that your Holy Spirit would give them great opportunities, that you'd lead them into conversations, and let your Spirit guide and direct each step of their daily lives, we pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen. 